God, that you alter us by the power of your Spirit. And so, Lord, as I come before you tonight, I pray to be used, to be an empty vessel that you fill, and, Lord, that knowing there is absolutely nothing that I can do on my own that will be profitable this evening, but, Lord, we know that as long as we are connected to Christ Jesus, it is Him that will accomplish what needs to be done here this evening. So, Lord, by the power of your word, may you apply it by the power of your spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And, Lord, may we be found faithful to be obedient to your commands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, ladies, I understand when you read a title like this, you're thinking, well, I I didn't need to even show up tonight. This is just for the boys. Well, it's not. And I I want you to know that, guys, I realize who I'm speaking to. You're showing up on a Thursday night of revival, so I know who's in the room here tonight, okay? Uh, So I don't come here to chastise. I come here to encourage and maybe even remind us of what our responsibilities are as men of God. We've read from 1 Corinthians 16, and you don't have to turn here in your Bible. I want to remind you about Job. That in the closing chapters of Job, we hear God finally speak. After a man has beat down uh, by his own physical ailments, by the loss of his children, emotional pain in his life, uh, his friends coming before him and saying, uh, you've done something wrong, Job. There's no way you could have had all this fall on you unless you are a sinful man. They point all the things out that could have been causing the issues in Job's life. Even Job's wife came to him and says, just curse God and die. And then Job finally gets disheartened after all of this, as any man would. But when God speaks to Job, God speaks in the whirlwind. He tells Job, dress for action like a man. Because I'm going to ask you some questions. This is the command he gives a man who has been beat down emotionally. He's been beat down physically. He's been beat down by his own friendships. And God still requires him to dress like a man. A man. I want you to tell you a word, uh, something about that word man in Job. It's different than the word man in 1 Corinthians. The word man in Job is a masculine noun. That's a problem in our community today, in our culture today, isn't it? They don't even know men are masculine anymore. But it's a masculine noun which means strong man. It means warrior. God is telling Job, you prepare for battle like a warrior. That's the word for us today. Because we live in a community, we live in a culture, and I'm not wrong when I say community. I'm not correcting myself by saying community, then culture. Our community is being influenced by the world that we live in because everything runs through this right here, and social media comes into the homes, and it comes in the homes through your televisions, it comes through the videos that your kids watch, it comes through the the things that your grandchildren are, are seeing When they pull up some music video or they're watching something online, it is coming constantly. It's coming in the books they read. It's coming in the classrooms, and it's even in the doctor's offices where they know science clearly makes a distinction between a man or a woman, but you still get to choose your preferred pronoun. 
That's the problem we have in our culture and in our community. It was back in 2011 that there was a Canadian couple. 2011, keep that date, that year in your mind. In 2011, a Canadian couple made a grand announcement that was echoed around the world. They already had two little boys, and they had their third child. The baby's name was Storm, born on New Year's Day. Baby Storm came into the world, and immediately after Baby Storm was born, the mother sent out an email to the entire family and the friend group that she had, and this is what she said, quote, We decided not to share Storm's sex for now. A tribute to freedom and choice in place of limitation. A stand-up to what the world could become in Storm's lifetime, end quote. Well, look back over the last 12 years. What has the world become in Storm's lifetime? What has our nation become in Storm's lifetime? It's traumatizing. I never would have thought we could have moved that fast. But even in 2011, when that announcement was made, the liberal media was even plastering that out there and saying, talking to those, uh, those who are professionals in this field, psychiatrists and doctors, and they warned that this was not a good thing. And now look where we're at. So this evening... I want us to look at what it means to be a biblical man. Biblical masculinity. And ladies, unless you think you've come here tonight in vain, I brought a message for them, but I want you to hear me out as well. We not only need men in the churches who understand what biblical manhood looks like, we need Christian women who knows what a biblical man of God acts like, what he sounds like, and what he loves like. Because then you will desire that for your own life and you will be an encouragement to your own husband, son, grandson, nephew. Be a man of God. So tonight, I want us to look at what it means to act like men. Well, I want you now to go to the passage of Scripture we're going to focus on the rest of the night. You'll have to turn your Bibles one time, and you'll stay at Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. As you're turning there, I want you to understand that what's about making the making of a strong man of God to act like men in order for us to be Act like men, we must be strong men. And in order to be a strong man of God, it doesn't have anything to do with brute strength. Fellas down here on the front, I want you to understand, to have to be a big, burly guy, okay? It, it's not going to matter how fast you get to start shaving. It, it doesn't matter how much chest hair you ever grow. Or back hair, because that's a problem for some fellas, okay? You don't want that. There, listen, later in life, you're going to have hair growing places you don't ever want it to grow. Your wife has to pluck your ear hair out, and it's not fun. Being a man of God doesn't, doesn't depend on what your hobbies are. It doesn't matter if you like hot rods or not. It doesn't matter if you like to hunt and fish or not. 
or if you like to farm or you don't like to farm. It does not matter. It's not what we're talking about when we talk about biblical men because we can find examples of strong, virulent men who led well but aren't men of God. Teddy Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, when he was a young boy, read in a magazine, guys, that push-ups make a man. Push-ups make a man. So you know what Teddy Roosevelt decided to do? He wanted to be a man. He started doing push-ups every single day of his life. Now, as he got older, Teddy Roosevelt was a pretty husky fella, and he had a thick chest. After he'd been president, he decided to run for president again because he didn't like what Taft was doing. In 1912, he was going to speak for the Bull Moose Party. He was the, the uh, candidate for the Bull Moose Party. In 1912, on October 14th, he was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He got finished uh, with a meal and walked with his entourage back to his car. As he was approaching the car, there's a crowd of people gathered around him, and one man at the very front of the crowd, whose name was John Shrank, raised up a .38 caliber Colt revolver and with, from feet away shot Teddy Roosevelt in the chest. Teddy Roosevelt was on his way to go to a speaking engagement where he had already had his speech folded up, 50 pages, manuscript, folded in half, placed inside his thick coat pocket with his eyeglass, metal eyeglass case behind it in his pocket. When the bullet came at Teddy Roosevelt, it penetrated his coat. It went through the 50-page manuscript that was folded up into 100 pages because it was folded in half and into the metal, the metal glass eyeglass case, and then through it, but it stopped in the meat of Teddy Roosevelt's chest. He fell down, but he wasn't dead. They tackled the man who was about to shoot him again. He was arrested. He was taken away. And they tried to convince Teddy Roosevelt, we need to get you to the hospital. But Teddy Roosevelt said, I'm not going to the hospital. I've got people to speak to. So he went to his speaking engagement. He stood up before them. He pulled out the 50-page manuscript with the bullet hole through it and blood on it and showed it to the crowd. It was quite moving, I'm sure. And he gave his entire speech, spoke for about an hour with the bullet lodged in his chest. He died with that bullet in his chest. They told him no need to take it out. It wasn't going to do any harm. Never made it into any vital organs. That's a, that's a burly man, isn't it, guys? That is a tough man who can do that. When I was in probably about junior high, going to Brookfield Baptist Church, my mom and dad's church, and every year Brookfield would go to Macon, to the Macon Coliseum, and we would go to WOW, the youth event. Y'all ever been to WOW? Super WOW, anything about that? Don't know anything about it, okay. It was a big event. They had speakers come in and and worship bands would come in, and they would lead the youth, and we would go, and this place was full of people. And one year, I remember this, it's the first time I'd ever heard of a man named David Ring. Y'all heard of David Ring? David Ring walked out on that stage, and he was nothing like a Teddy Roosevelt. He was not the big, husky, gnarly kind of guy. He didn't look like he, could ch he couldn't chop a piece of wood in two if he needed to. He, he was a, a, a bony little fella. But David Ring came out, and what you need to know about David Ring is that David Ring, when he was born, laid dead for 18 minutes on a table next to his mother while they tried to save his mother's life. 
and they did save her life. For 18 minutes, he didn't receive any oxygen to his brain, and because of that, when they did resuscitate him, he had permanent brain damage that led to cerebral palsy. So when David Ring speaks, it's hard to understand him. And David Ring can't walk like we walk. He can't use his hands like we use our hands. But David Ring got up and this was his phrase that he opened with because he captured everybody's attention in the audience when he said he stood up and began to speak and he says, I'm David Ring. I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? I'll never forget that. He was an evangelist. Now, he's not a great expositor of the word of God but he is an evangelist brother Steve and I looked at David Ring and I'll tell you right here fellas David Ring was much more a man of God and still is to this day because he's still alive than I believe Teddy Roosevelt ever was I'll take a David Ring over a Teddy Roosevelt any day you need a man of God a man who knows what God's call is on his life so let's look at Proverbs chapter 24 Strong man of God. When I thought of what does it require to be a strong man of God, the first thing that I came that came to my mind was what I've always seen in Scripture, and that is wisdom. So look with me at verse three. By wisdom, house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by his wise guidance. You can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, a strong man of God. Fellas, listen to me. I want you to hear that tonight. If you're going to be a strong man of God, God's word says you need to be a wise man of God. You need wisdom. Wisdom and understanding that come from knowledge. I'm going to teach it. I know you were at Chess. You probably will remember this because I already taught this. I I do devotion at Chess Academy, Homeschool Academy, uh, every Wednesday. And I taught them a word this year because we were wanting to learn about what it means to be wise. And the Hebrew word for wisdom, you can all participate tonight. It's fun to say because us South Georgians can really do it well. It's called hokmah. So if you know how to spit, guys, you can say one, at least one word in Hebrew, chokmah. That's it. So chokmah is what we're looking at that, that Solomon is teaching us here. We need wisdom. Now, uh, to understand the definition of wisdom, this is what, it's not just that you've got a lot of information. Wisdom here is not just intellectual knowledge. It describes a skilled artisan who is, excels at their craft like a woodworker. Now, when I was growing up, on Saturday mornings on PBS, the show would come on, not cartoons, but uh, got to watch this old house with Norm Abrams. Remember good old Norm? Every once in a while, he still shows up on this old house. But Norm Abram was an impressive individual because Norm Abram could go into a shop and he could work on a piece of furniture and he could use a lathe to turn a dial, and he could uh, make the mortise and tendon joints where they fit together just perfectly, and he could make a a nice, strong piece of furniture you'd want in your home. But then he could also go outside the shop, and he could go out where where a house is being built. He knew how the foundation needed to be dug, and he knew how it needed to be poured, and he knew what 
what was necessary for that house to be built according to design. Norm Abram, what you call a master craftsman. I was always drawn to that probably because my dad was a carpenter and built houses and I've just always been drawn and impressed with that ability. Ah, this wisdom that Solomon's talking about here has some materialistic that they're there in order to help us understand its application to how we live. Solomon uses this construction of a home to help us understand the need for wisdom in our lives. We need wisdom. Let me talk to you about building a house. Because I've done it. One time. Building a house requires a few things. First of all, it requires some knowing. You need some knowledge. You, you need to understand the workings of building a house. Some, some idea of how it's going to come together. You at least need to know the local codes as you're going through there and building the home. You need to know that. Just like Norm Abram, you need to know how to dig a foundation or know who to call in order to dig the foundation right and to build the building up properly, to understand load capacities and all of that. But before you do anything like that, in order to build a house, you need to have a plan. You need to know what you're going to build. You need to know how many rooms you're going to have, how many square feet you want it to have. What's it going to look like when you're done? What are you shooting for? Also, you need a house. In order to build a house, you need resources. Now, resources are, you can have materials, be able to do it. you may be able to secure a bank loan. But let me tell you about the resources that I had to have because I didn't know how to build a house from the ground up. I needed people who knew how. So my, my loving father spent countless hours with me building a house. And we had other people that were able to come in and help us and, and were able to contribute to the house building project. You need also, it takes time to build a house. You don't build it in a weekend. I can't build a rabbit hutch in a weekend. I learned that just a few weeks ago. It takes time to build something. But one last thing that it requires to build a house. It takes hard work. This is the illustration that Solomon has given us here about wisdom. Because when you finish a house, once it's complete, what you have there in, in, is a life to happen. It's a place where you can bring your family in. You're protected from the elements. You have a, a place to eat and to sleep. Share with the people you love and the friends that you have and to bring them in. A wise builder can build a beautiful home. A wise builder can build a solid home. A wise builder can build a secure home. There's great benefits to this kind of wisdom. And Solomon is not just writing to us here a how to build a house for dummies book, okay? That's not what he's given us. What he's telling us, he's saying here's how you build a life that is lived for God. This is how you live that life. A life of wisdom takes you need to understand what it required of you to be a man of God and to be strong. It, you, you can't just expect that you're going to get up and walk out the door and probably you'll bump into some wisdom through the day and it, most of it will stick to you and the rest of it will fall off and you'll keep some. You've you got to plan for the wisdom that you're after. You also need resources. I'm grateful for the resources I've had for the wisdom that's been instilled and given to me in my life. 
I hope you guys have that. And so this is what I want to talk to the men here tonight. I want you to realize you need to be a resource. Be a resource to other guys, to other men, to these young fellows that are sitting down here. I'm sure this church is pouring into them, but that is such a a requirement for each one of us. I've always heard that it was said, a Christian man needs to have a, a Paul in his life and a Timothy in his life. He needs to have a man like Paul who's pouring into him, and then he needs a man like Timothy that he's pouring into as well. You're, never, you're not a bucket, you're a conduit. You don't just get poured in and you hold it. A conduit allows it for it to flow through, and that's what needs to happen in the man of God. It needs to flow through us and out to others. And I'm just grateful for the wisdom that I've had. I'm going to tell you about seven men tomorrow night that I've had in my life who have just contributed greatly to my walk with Christ at different seasons in my life. Verse 5 says, a wise man is full of strength. Full of strength. Remember what Christine said, act like men, be strong. A wise man is full of strength. Here's the key to this. This is what you can take away from that verse. It's not the strength and wise. It's the wisdom that makes a man strong. You got that, guys? It's not the strength that makes a man wise. It's the wisdom that makes a man strong. You can be a strong-willed man and not be wise. You can be a a, a strong, opinionated man and not be wise. You can be a very strong-minded man and still not be wise. But then we also see just underneath there, it says, by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant things. A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. A man of knowledge enhances his might. We grow in knowledge, we get stronger. So how do we gain this wisdom? Where does this wisdom come from? Where does it begin? You've got to have a starting point for anything you do in life, right? So how are you going to get wise? And first of all, do you want to be wise? In order to get to wisdom, we find the answer to that also in Proverbs. You don't have to go anywhere. You've heard this verse before. Proverbs 1, verse 7, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Wrong. So close. Actually, Proverbs 1, 7 says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is not until we get to Proverbs 9, verse 10, that we get the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There you go. So you're right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but first we find out that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does biblical masculinity begin with? It begins with knowledge and wisdom. Where do we get that knowledge from? From the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord gives us knowledge. The knowledge of the word, word uh, of the Lord gives us wisdom. Where does that come from? The fear of the Lord. Let me give you an example of the fear of the Lord. Back in Leviticus chapter 9, the Hebrew children are worshiping God for the first time with all of the, what God had commanded them to build and worship with at the tabernacle. They're still in the wilderness. They're wandering around and the tabernacle's there. And so this is the first time that um, Aaron, 
as high priest and his sons are serving the Lord and offering the sacrifices to God for the very first time on the altar of burnt offering. And they lay these, the offerings out upon them, the, the animals that have been slaughtered. They're laid on the altar of burnt offering. The priests step back from there. And we're told in Leviticus 9 that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. The word shout there in Leviticus shouted from fear in the sense that they were scared to death. They actually were shouting in worship of God, but it was out of the fear and reverence they had for the Lord. This is what we have to have in understanding. See, the knowledge of who God is, it's the fear and reverence that we are to have for Him, and that leads to wisdom, which leads to worship. And you'll worship God to Him that way. Biblical masculinity begins with the fear of the Lord. A man who has no fear of God or reverence for his character will be a God unto himself. Yeah, guys, listen, it is easy for it to happen to us. We'll fall into that trap of being a God ourselves. We do for ourselves only and we forget about God's place in our life. Because a man who has no fear of God will place himself above others. A man who has no fear of God Use others for selfish gain and satisfaction. But the man of God looks not for his own interests, but the interest of others. He'll count others more significant than himself. Who is our example? Philippians 2 tells us Jesus Christ is our example of what it looks like just as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. This is the way we come before the Lord when we understand who we are. Verse 10 in Proverbs chapter 24. If you flip over to verse 10, it says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The, this is the opposite of what we just read back in verse 5. Verse 5 told us, that a wise man is full of strength. But verse 10 says, if you have adversity, your strength is small. What does that tell you about the guy in verse 10? He's a wimp. This is a puny man. He's a puny man of God. What kind of adversity are you faced with in life where you are required to not shrink from it but to be strong? When you're challenged, guys and ladies, on a moral issue, when you're challenged on an ethical issue at work or in your home or decisions that need to be made, when you're challenged on a doctrinal issue or anything that you know to be right, and instead of standing up for that, you capitulate and you go along or because it's convenient for you, that is the result of small strength. This is the reason Paul told the Corinthian men, act like men. We're obligated to be strong men of God who know the truth, who love the truth, and will not waver from the truth. We're to be strong. 
Christian man refuses to be strong, when he turns from the courageous calling God has on his life and, and he gives in and lacks the fortitude to stand for the truth, that man does not fall somewhere between strength and weakness. He is weak. He's a weak man. When you give in in these areas, it is a sign of weakness. And let me tell you from my own personal experience, you never walk away capitulating on one of those issues in your life because of weakness in your life and say, I'm glad I kept my mouth shut. I'm glad I didn't speak up when I thought about speaking up. I'm glad I stand because my life is so much easier. Every single time, the man of God who walks away and does not act the part, doesn't become the man of God, is not strong. Every single time, you will meet and walk face-to-face into regret. It always happens. It happens. You'll say, why, God, am I so weak? Why didn't I speak up when I had an opportunity? Why did I choose to do that thing that I knew I didn't want to do? Why did I compromise? Every single time. Being strong isn't always easy. It's not fun sometimes. It's not popular sometimes. It's not comfortable. It ain't convenient sometimes, is it? And we can look at Elijah. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah. Elijah goes toe-to-toe with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher. 850 false prophets. They build the altar. Of course, Elijah is being bold, and he is. God has filled him with his spirit. Elijah's bold. And they come out, the people are cutting themselves as they have their, their sacrifices laid upon the altar. They're praying that God would consume the offering that they had. And Elijah taunts them, doesn't he? Uh, fellas, maybe you need to call a little louder. Uh, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he went on vacation somewhere. Or maybe he's in the john. What Elijah says, not be relieving himself. He says, where's your God at? And their God was silent. And then Elijah has them. He builds the altar up and he lays the sacrifice upon there. And then he has them pour the water over it, pour the water over it again, pour the water. Where's water everywhere, right? Just standing around the altar. And he prays to the true and living God. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes not only the sacrifice, but the altar itself and all the water around it. And even the dirt was burnt. And then Elijah says, okay, folks, now pick who you want to serve. The false God who can do nothing or the true and living God who can send fire down from heaven. And all the people turn against the false prophets of Baal and they chase them down and they slaughter all of them. And then back at the castle, Queen Jezebel got mighty upset because those were her prophets. And so she's out for Elijah. And bold, strong Elijah comes there, hiding in a cave, scared, alone, uncomfortable, inconvenient, hungry. 
It's not always easy to take a stand and be a strong man of God. But guys, I want you to know we can be strong men of God and still be compassionate. We're called to. We can be strong men of God and still be gentle. We can be strong men of God and still be loving. Show you the next couple of verses, 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Men, we are accountable. God holds us accountable. We're, we're the ones who are to fight the wars. We are the protectors. We protect the homes. We protect in our society. We protect in our nation. Remember what God's call to Job was. Dress for action like a warrior, like a man. I'll spiritualize these verses a little bit. When we read here, that they are being led away to the slaughter, we know there are so many who are being consumed in our culture, in our school system, and in our homes by the lies that Satan has been able to weave through the minds of deceitful people. And it's chewing them up. They're being led to the slaughter of what is socially acceptable. And all it is is leading people away to their spiritual doom. Ephesians 5 tells us the days are evil. Therefore do not be but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now I want to end on a positive note here. I want to encourage us here with the next two and that's the last verses for the night. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Solomon says this, My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Do you see the encouragement that God is offering to the man who seeks for wisdom? He's offering sweetness of honey. I can tell you about honey. And I can describe to you how it tastes and how much I enjoy it and the savor, the sweetness of honey. I can describe it to you all day long. But the only way you can experience it is for you to dip your finger into that honey and stick it to your tongue. And what happens when you taste honey? You like it or not. Some people don't like honey, I get it. But when you stick that honey to your tongue, it fills up your entire mouth. There's not a taste bud left that's not affected by the honey that gets onto your tongue. It just takes over in your mouth. The sweetness is there. You smell it as you're breathing. It's just because it's in your mouth. You, the honey just takes over your whole head. That's the way the wisdom of God is for the man who seeks it. We get consumed with it. 
We breathe it in and breathe it out. We taste it as we speak. We have the word of God poured upon us and it's thick and it's heavy and it's delightful and soothing. It's a delicious thing to taste the wisdom of God. That's the last verses from Proverbs, but I, I, I don't, don't, trust me, I'm not going to take you a long ways away. You don't even have to turn in your Bibles. I just need to answer this question because I was about your age, fellas, whenever I remember hearing this taught in Sunday school. and It stuck in my brain in a Sunday school class down in Brookfield Baptist Church. In fact, I can even Ms. Odine Hand was my Sunday school teacher, and we studied this. And I remember, and that verse has never left me. James tells us if, if you want wisdom, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God for it. But don't think that you should ask God with doubt in your heart because God's not going to give it to you. No, we need to know, men and women alike, boys and girls in here, the same. If we go to God and we ask, and we need to know that just like you taste that honey, God wants to give you that wisdom. He'll offer it to you. It says that he who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given to him. God wants to give us that wisdom. But here's the thing, in order to gain the wisdom, you've got to have the knowledge. It's the knowledge of God's word that leads to the wisdom of God in the man of God and into the woman of God. And I'll end with this. No one can become a man of God without first becoming a child of God. Now, I realize in a group like this on a Thursday night in a small Baptist church in South Georgia, probably everybody in here has been dunked in that pool back here or some pool somewhere around. And you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I, I hope that's the case for everybody that's in here that's old enough to make a decision. But we need to know that, guys, even us, the adults in here, those of you who have walked years with Jesus Christ, know that we still come to Him as a child. This is what Jesus said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A child is completely dependent on a parent. They can't do anything. They come into this world, all they know how to do is scream and cry, right? Let you know when they're hungry, and let you know when they need to be changed. That's the two things they need in life. And mama or daddy one's got to make it happen. That's the way it is for us as believers. I hope you're out of your spiritual diapers. And that you're walking in maturity with the Lord, but you still come to Him as His child. You have to know Him. You have to come to Him and repent. And that's a daily occurrence for me. I need daily repentance to come before the Lord and repent and then ask God, Lord, use me today. Give me the wisdom I need to make the right choices and give me the strength I need because I can't do it in my own strength. But the Word of God is the power of God and the Spirit of God is the one who will apply it to our lives and strengthen us. Act like men. Bow with me and let's pray. Father, we do. We need your power. There's not a thing we can do on our own that will accomplish your purposes. But Lord, your desire is to work through us to work in us and through us. My prayer tonight, Lord, is that we truly desire to act like men. 
that we want to be strong men of God. God, that we seek your wisdom out for our lives and trust that you'll give it to us. Not only the men in this room, but the young fellows in this room. The ladies in this room and the young ladies in this room. Lord, we need you in order to be wise. Help us to desire that in our lives so that we can taste it and know how sweet your wisdom truly is. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. 18, is thy heart right with God? Let's stand tonight and as we sing a hymn of invitation or really in light of what uh, Brother Keith said last night, a hymn of consecration. Are we serious, you know? Maybe if God's leading you tonight to come kneel to pray or you need to ask me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to do that. But great message, timely. Think about in the context of that scripture. Paul said to men in Corinth, pagan world, we are to have a future next generation. We're going to have to reshape the culture. Men are going to have to reshape the culture. We'll just be another empire on an ash heap. Another government. Things have to change. And God calls men not to follow their wives' dictation. He calls men to be the priest in their home because we're, we're going to be held accountable. Things have to change place for that to start the house of the Lord. So as we sing tonight, challenge, you've been encouraged. Let's get uncomfortable and do what God has called us to do. You need to come for any reason.
Testament. Okay. There's a lot of being poured into this. <laughs> Need to really make disciples. That's done through relationships. Encourage <coughs> each other. Raising teenagers, talk to me. Bring to me. Be a conduit, electrical line, a shock collar, something. <laughs> I need to have a conversation with you. Anyway, hearts and minds clear tonight before we dismiss. I got to praise. I just want to thank God for an answered prayer or something that. Praise God tonight. Glad you're here. Without being a good person. Love you. Father, again, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the message tonight, dear God, how we as men need to be men, men of God. Dear God, we hope and pray that it's on each one of our hearts, dear God, that we may go out into a world that doesn't see us as a Christian man, that we show them that we are Christian. I just somehow change the world in our government, in our, in our school systems, in our places of work. Let others see Jesus in us. Example, you have us to be. Continue to bless our congregation. Bless us tomorrow night as we have one more night of revival. We thank you for the last four nights, dear God, and for the blessings of each speaker. Thank you for our church, what it means to our community. We thank you for our pastor and our family. Continue to bless us. Dear God, bless the folks at New River. We're thankful for the pastor there, dear God, and uh, him that way. And we just put the message tonight and continue to bless you. We ask in your name.